translation. Anyone who hears the narration of Dhruva Maharaj and who repeatedly tries with faith and devotion to understand his pure character attains the pure devotional platform and executes pure devotional service. By such activities one can diminish the threefold miserable conditions of material life. Purport. Hear the word. Achutta Priya is very significant. Dhruva Maharaj's character and reputation are great because he is very dear to Achutta, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. As the pastimes and activities of the Supreme Lord are pleasing to hear, hearing about his devotees who are very dear to the Supreme Person is also pleasing and potent. If one simply reads over and over again about Dhruva Maharaj by hearing and reading this chapter, one can attain the highest perfection of life in any way he desires. Most importantly, he gets the chance to become a great devotee. To become a great devotee means to finish all miserable conditions of materialistic life. Anyone who hears the narration of Dhruva Maharaj and who repeatedly tries with faith and devotion to understand his pure character attains the pure devotional platform and executes pure devotional service. By such activities one can diminish the threefold miserable conditions of material life. This is the Falashruti of the narration of Dhruva Maharaj. Falashruti refers to or means at the end of any scriptural description <coughs> there is usually a verse or verses like the one we've read today which tells the reader or the hearer what is the benefit they will attain by hearing this. What is the fall, what is the result of Shruti, hearing. So here the uh, fall, the result of hearing this is no small thing. It is the only attainment that is worth attaining, as we understand from this very narration. That Dhruv Maharaj, he wanted, so he had such a big desire. He didn't desire a new TV set or a little, a little bungalow on the beach. But he desired what he thought was greater than anyone had in the material world, an unsurpassable kingdom, a, 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 a material, an acquisition that could not be bettered by anyone else. He would achieve the supreme material position. But then, having attained that, or having got the opportunity to attain that by having the direct darshan of Varadaraja, this name is not given in this narration, it means the, the king of those who award boons, that is Krishna, that is the name of a famous temple in South India, Varadaraja. So Krishna, he gives the, he is the best or the king of the giver, of those who give boons. But having had the direct darshan of he, namely Vishnu, who is quite capable of giving everything because everything belongs to him and actually even if he gives something material, uh, the, the person who possesses it doesn't really possess it anyway. The, the, 
giving and receiving anything material is in itself illusory because nothing belongs to anyone in this material world anyway. But another name of Krishna is Muktida. He's the giver of Mukti, liberation from this material world. But Dhruv Maharaj, on attaining the darshan of Lord Vishnu, he, was, he became, by the very power of that, by the, by the immediate uh, impression was that he didn't want anything of this material world, he didn't want liberation either. Just having the darshan of Lord Vishnu was in itself the highest perfection. And he considered that all that he had desired for, he had calculated that I will get such a great kingdom, greater than anyone else, greater than anything attainable, uh, greater than my father, greater than my grandfather. And then he thought, it's all useless. This is the right conclusion. But it is all useless. Why, sometimes people say uh, to our devotees, why are you so negative about the material world? Why do you say it's useless? Well, it is useless. It's just, it's just a fact. Uh, the fact that most people don't recognize that adds to its uselessness. Now, not only is this material world completely useless, but it's full of all these insane people who think that it's a nice place. So, we are enjoined to hear repeatedly about Dhruva Maharaj, whose uh, story is so much instructive, on many platforms. All the narrations of Bhagavatam, or actually everything in life, for one who has uh, awakened intelligence, whose intelligence has been awakened by hearing, as is the first word, should by touch, hearing this, shraddhaya, with faith, abhikshna, repeatedly, Mm. then anyone whose intelligence is thus awakened he can see in every situation he can see Krishna and the hand of Krishna what is the reality of every situation the reality of every situation in this material world is that it's all one big zero at best and more likely in the minus area whereas Krishna and Krishna consciousness is overwhelmingly good. So much so that, for instance, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who uh, in his youth, as he himself narrated, uh, was much concerned with amassing knowledge about this material world. But when he had the darshan of Gaurkishwata's Babaji Maharaj, then he realized that uh, in one drop of dust, one piece of dust from the lotus feet of Babaji Maharaj, that contains more from Babaji Maharaj, who is superficially illiterate, uncultured, uncouth, then one drop of dust from his lotus feet contains more knowledge than the whole, all the universities in the world put together. Or all the knowledge of the material world, it's all insignificant in comparison to that which is bestowed by one drop of dust from the lotus feet of this person who, to materialistic vision, appears to be unsophisticated, insignificant and uh, maybe quite contemptible also. Of course, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsar Thakur, I said when he first, had, when he had the darshan, because many times he may have seen Gorky Shadas Prabhuji Maharaj, but only when he saw him with that vision, only when Gyane Prayasamudha Pasya Namanta Eva, only when this arose in his heart, that instead of thinking himself, I am very great, I am a very good, this is how he described. We're not saying that Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsar Thakur is anything less than the 
the greatest of great devotees, but he described it himself this way. I'm paraphrasing a bit. That as long as one is concerned with uh, thinking that I will understand everything by my own effort, then he's always defeated. But when one actually becomes humble and can submit oneself to a great devotee, then uh, one's path is open. Mahat sevam dwaram ahur vimuktes tamo dwaram yoshitam yoshisangam The path of liberation is opened by serving the great personalities and the path to hell comes from association with women and those who are attached to women. So, uh, Dhruva Maharaj, he attained that which is beyond the imagination of even the greatest materialists to the greatest benediction that Dhruva Maharaj, he, he attained that by the mercy of Narad Muni. He attained the benediction of being able to see this whole world as insignificant and the only significant thing is to attain as is stated here Bhaved Bhaktiya Bhagavati to attain devotion to the lotus feet of Krishna Yayasyat Klesha Sankshayaha by which all material miseries are completely destroyed so the beginning of intelligence is to see that this material world is miserable that's not the end of intelligence but it's the beginning if one sees that this material world is desirable then he's in a lot of trouble called a lot of trouble is called the material world but that is the very nature of this material world that one sees it we're all in this material world because we see it as desirable but if one can see that it's it's not desirable it's full of miseries then one can begin on that path uh, otherwise, parab, the path that, to, that will lead to our actual welfare. Otherwise, parab havas tavad abodhajatam yavan najignyasutur atmatattvam. As long as we do not inquire into the actual nature of reality, then everything we do, we are defeated in our activities. As long as our actual intelligence is not awakened. Now, Dhruv Maharaj, he got beyond all material miseries. He was by devotion to Krishna. Which is, freedom from material misery is after all a secondary result or a side product of pure devotion to Krishna. But from our perspective in this material world, it's a very important result. Because we are not uh, why don't we become Krishna conscious? Even after repeatedly hearing, because we remain attached to material happiness. That is, our, that is the bondage of material... This bondage in this material world means that we think it's nice, we think it's enjoyable. So here it's recommended, repeatedly hear with faith, repeatedly hear, actually everything in this world is temporary, actually everything in this world is miserable. Actually, the only real desirable goal is to surrender to the Lord of, Lotus Feet of Krishna. There is nothing else beyond that. There is nothing else worth attaining. Everything, whatever we get in this material world, it is a cause of misery and we can't keep it anyway. Dhruva Maharaj, even he desired that great kingdom, but it was temporary. Even a very long period, he could rule over it. Even Brahma, such a long period... What is it? 311 trillion years, something like that, is the lifespan of Brahma. But so many Brahma... How many Brahmas have come and gone? They're coming and going. Just coming and going, coming and going. As Brahma sees, if Brahma sneezes, in the meantime, the, the whole... It is, is all, all our plans, our ambitions, our life, our endeavors... It's all, it all comes and goes in one sneeze of Brahma. He sneezes, in the meantime, I got born, I grew up, 
I conquered a kingdom, I became great, I got my name in the Guinness Book of Records, then I died and I was completely forgotten. All in Brahma's one sneeze. And in Mahavishnu's one sneeze, millions and millions of Brahmas are coming and going. So this is the, we should hear about this. How significant are we? How important are we? To quote the, uh, another great person of the material world who is now forgotten. How many of you have heard of Charles de Gaulle? I'm saying it in my best French. The older people and those who have studied history a little bit. You studied history? Yeah. So he was a great figure on the stage of world activities. Of course, a Frenchman must know. <laughs> he was a great figure up there with, in the news with Hitler, Roosevelt, Churchill, Big... Well, he said that, it's a good saying, that the graveyards are full of indispensable men. You got that? You didn't get it. All the, the indispensable... As I learned in history at school, I remembered something from my classes at school, that the great British Prime Minister, how many of you have heard of William Pitt? Yes, one or two. Did you study in school at England? Not from England. Wow. Oh. Just see, I'm so learned. I have heard of William Pitt and you haven't. I think it was William. So anyway, his name was Pitt. One who was a Prime Minister of England at the end of the 18th century. So presumably everyone in England had heard his name. I don't know. Maybe. They didn't have CNN in those days. But anyway, he left this world. His famous last words were, were My country, how I leave my country. The country went on. No one ever heard of him now. So however significant we may think we are, we are simply insignificant. And to hear this is purifying. Dhruv Maharaj's significance that he's remembered now is because of his pure devotional to service to Krishna. Not because of his austerities. So many people have performed austerities. Not because of his attaining a great kingdom. So many people have attained great kingdoms. But he's famous for his pure devotional service to Krishna. And one who has such pure devotion, he may or may not become famous. That is not the goal. Vyasadeva has kindly cited his narration as an example to others that what we can attain, what is the benefit of pure devotional service to Krishna. Otherwise there may be many millions and millions of devotees who are performing pure devotional service. It's not that they all get their name in the Srimad Bhagavatam. The aim is not to have, I will get my, someone will write a book about me. And, uh, or maybe I'll write it for myself. Uh, I should be remembered. This is all nonsense. Of course, Srila Prabhupada authorized that his biography be published because he took the role of a of the world Acharya and teaching others. So it may be that a devotee uh, commissions his biography. But to think, I should be remembered, I should be great, I, others should think well of me, uh, they should praise me, it's another foolishness. So Dhruv Maharaj, who had an extraordinarily foolish desire, became free from that by what? By the mercy of Narada Muni. He had an extra... Any material desire means a foolish desire. And that he had such a great material desire means it was an exceptionally foolish desire. If you just desire a color TV, oh, and nowadays TV means color TV, or big TV, then that's a foolish desire. But the bigger the desire, the bigger the foolishness. So Dhruva Maharaj was uh, the biggest fool in the whole universe. But he became the most intelligent person by the mercy of Narada Muni. What is the, what is the factor, what is the actual factor in Dhruva's great success story? The, the factor is the mercy of Narada Muni who very expertly guided Dhruva 
to the path of pure devotional service. Narad is the a little bit in the background here, but he's the he's the hero of this story. He's the hero of, of so many narrations in the Srimad Bhagavatam. How he gives the, the right instruction. He's not a popular person. Narad Muni, he's uh, here in India. The uh, Narada, he's depicted as as a fool in the dramas. Uh, very, it's actually very offensive, and. Uh, the Ram Charit Manas in the beginning gives a story which I don't know if it's taken from any actual Shastra but without a proper explanation it makes Narad look like a fool. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not how we heard of Narada Muni from Srila Prabhupada. But he goes everywhere. Wherever he finds an opportunity he, do, he takes people out of material life. He guides them in a way, and in almost all cases it seems that in doing so he severely upsets this, the social status quo. He does, even he goes among pious people like Daksha and not caring for their being pious followers of Vedic culture, not caring for their uh, desire to uh, expand a family so that this material world can be populated with pious people. He just yanks people back to Godhead. Uh, he doesn't care. He's focused on the real thing, that everything within this material world is useless. Even being pious is useless. Even being nice is useless. Even uh, being popular is useless. Everything is useless without pure devotion to Krishna. Narada is completely fixed on that point. And he is uh, perpetually becoming unpopular. He is the archetypal uh, sannyasi who drags people out of their material life. Now in this case, Dhruv Maharaj, he had an extraordinarily, extraordinary material desire. And Narad was very expert. He didn't, in this case, preach to him that material life is foolish. But he saw that Dhruva's desire was so strong that he was prepared to do anything to if he thought that by doing so he could fulfill that desire. So Narad engaged Dhruva Maharaj in acts of bhakti. Now it wasn't pure in the beginning it definitely wasn't pure devotional service, but it was Tivra Bhakti. It was certainly Dhruva Maharaj's bhakti was certainly tivra bhakti. Tivra means intense. Now we all know this word from the famous shloka Akama Sarva Kamova Moksha Kama Udharadhi Tivrena Bhakti Yogena Yajeta Purushamparam. That whether one has material desires, desires for liberation, or no desire other than to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If one's intelligence is actually broad, not crippled intelligence, then one should engage in tivra bhakti, intense devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, often this verse is misquoted to say that, well, it doesn't matter, whatever you do, it's a, you, know, you can have material desires, but whatever, you just do bhakti. But that's not exactly what the verse says. Specifically says, Tivrena bhakti yogena. In, in that condition, one, whatever condition one may be in, one should execute intense devotional service to Krishna. Now, Dhruv Maharaj, he had material desires, but he didn't uh, attempt at, at the point that he was uh, so upset, having been rejected by his father. But he didn't immediately attempt to indulge in material desires. His immediate attempt was that let me, let me uh, do whatever is required to get into a situation by which I can show myself to be better than my father and my grandfather and everyone else in the universe. So he didn't... In 
He didn't engage in sense gratification immediately. He was prepared to take up austerities. So Narada engaged him in that, in intense devotional service. And the result of that was purification. It's not that the Bhagavatam is recommending that, well, it's okay, you can just have a little sense gratification here and a little, do a little bhakti there, do it as you like, how you like. But the Bhagavatam says that one should engage in intense devotional service knowing that anyone who does so, even if they have material desires, they will be cleansed of those material desires by performing pure devotional service. To preach that or to tell others that, uh, yeah, it's okay, you can, sense gratification is okay. You just do a little bhakti and it's all the same. Now, of course, Srila Prabhupada often spoke about dovetailing our material desires. And he didn't push everyone in the beginning to immediately fully surrender to Krishna. But he guided people to do so. And although personally he wouldn't push everyone immediately to surrender to Krishna in all respects, but in his uh, lectures and his books he was certainly uncompromising. Uh, so, uh, this idea that, well, you just do a little bhakti here and you... Uh, engage in sense gratification, the material world is not so bad. But we have to be realistic as we are here in this world. We have to go along with it. That may be true to some extent. But real, being really realistic is to understand that we don't belong in this material world at all. To be really realistic we should follow the path of Narada, not Daksha. Daksha cursed Narada for, for being uh, too otherworldly. Daksha thought that Narada was uh, disrupting the proper plan of the universe, which is actually a fact because Daksha was appointed as a prajapati to fill up the world with pious people, to, pious and impious, to populate the universe. But then Narada upset that and sent his two sets of sons back to Godhead. So actually Narad was interfering with the plans of the universe. But the actual purpose of the universe is not just to fill it up with people who can punarapi jananam, punarapi maranam, they can just get born and die again, but to send people back to Godhead. So Narada very intelligently thought that, well instead of them being pious and then maybe after some time becoming devotees, why not make them devotees right away? Send them back to Godhead and then then Daksha will have to think of something else. Or it, maybe the whole universe will empty out if the preaching is good enough. Great. Good. People often ask us, well what will happen if everyone becomes Krishna conscious? There will be no more factories and no more government. Great. Good. The whole universe will become empty. Wonderful. But when people say that to me, I say it won't become empty. It's not going to happen. You're not going to surrender to Krishna. You're determined not to, and there are plenty of others like you, so don't worry. Your factories will go on. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to preach, and better they all close down. So, uh, yeah, Dhruva was a fanatic, you could say. In modern language, he would be called a fanatic. Someone, uh, even Narad Muni, first of all, preached him, don't be such a fanatic, you know, just cool down a bit. Don't, don't be so... Uh, intent on fulfilling this desire. So that's described by Srila Prabhupada that Narada was actually testing Dhruva. He wanted him. He wanted him. This, this extremism or seriousness. Narada wanted Dhruva. He wanted that uh, intensity. But then he wanted to concentrated on, uh, on the right goal, which is to attain Krishna. So, uh, Dhruva didn't accept that. Dhruva rejected Narada's instruction. He said, if you can help me to, be, to attain my goal, all well and good. If not, well, I'm not interested in you. So then Narada, 
he did he gave the means by which Dhruva could attain his goal. But in doing so, he completely purified Dhruva's consciousness. So Srila Prabhupada sometimes he also preached in what might seem to be a, a contradictory manner. While teaching that we are not the body, that this identification with one's country is simply foolishness, he would encourage, you're all American boys and girls, you, you should do something great. He's, he, once he said, what is the use of being an American if you can't do something great for Krishna? In Britain, when he was, he was meeting some lord, and uh, he said, your country used to be great. It can be great again. You can again rule the world if you just take a little direction from me. Prabhupada said. So the idea that my country should be great is a foolish idea. My country, it's not your country. We have no, no, relation, no actual relationship with any country. We have no actual relationship with anything in this world. But because people are attached to that idea, it's, it could be one way of engaging people in Krishna consciousness. You just take a little direction from me. And what is that direction? You close down the slaughterhouses, stop all the uh, brewing of whiskey and beer and all the things which make British culture what it is. And uh, chant Hare Krishna and be happy and can lead the world like that. And Srila Prabhupada was, was serious about that. It wasn't that he was just saying it as a, as a kind of slogan. When he went to meet Indira Gandhi, he had points that he was going to make to her, but he decided not to because her mind was very disturbed because she was afraid she was going to get assassinated as her... Uh, equivalent over in Bangladesh, Sheikh Mujibir Rahman had just been killed thanks to the CIA, so we're told. And uh, Indira was afraid that she was the next. But Prabhupada had written down a list of points that he was going to propose to Indira Gandhi. Uh, five, give immigration status to 500 Western devotees. So Prabhupada wanted to do that in 1971 when the, the whole movement was maybe only a thousand devotees, and Prabhupada wanted to bring 500, he wanted to like shift the whole movement to India, bring Western devotees to India to preach Krishna consciousness. Because Indians are so intent on following Westerners that if they see Westerners chanting Hare Krishna, they become inspired to do so themselves. Prabhupada said that, that uh, he didn't like the idea of there being a woman in charge of the country. So he said that she should, should make Sanjay, her son, the king, and make herself the queen, the mother queen, I think he wrote, queen mother, something like that. And he said all the ministers should be initiated brahmanas, and they should all uh, chant Hare Krishna morning and evening, and the country should be run on the basis of Bhagavad Gita as it is. He was quite serious. They were serious. We may think, well, if we went today and met Manmohan Singh and then we would propose to him that, uh, other points, all slaughterhouses closed. And the governments are opening slaughterhouses. But Prabhupada wanted to propose, close immediately, we would take guidance, do this, do this, do this, do this. Prabhupada was ready to guide the whole country on the basis of Krishna consciousness. Srila Prabhupada had very big plans and he was fully confident that by uh, instituting them, the world would change to a better place. Just like Dhruv Maharaj, you may think, Narad Muni, what he engaged him in doing. He engaged him in, uh, I mean, if nowadays if someone sent Dhruv Maharaj to do what he did, he'd be in the trouble with the child abuse office, right? Sending him to fast and stand on his leg in the forest He'd be in big trouble. But Narad Muni had full faith that by following this, Dhruv Maharaj would be benefited and the whole universe would be benefited. Actually, the whole universe 
it, because of Dhruva's austerities, there were troubles in the universe, but the ultimate result was that Dhruva became a pure devotee. And by the, the presence of pure devotees in the world, the whole situation becomes auspicious. Just like when Srila Prabhupada was present in this world, all the devotees, and even non-devotees, could ap appreciate how auspicious was Srila Prabhupada's presence, even though uh, many of them, they didn't take up his message or they didn't relate to his message. But that Srila Prabhupada, just by his presence, his, uh, he purified the whole world. By traveling on different airlines, he purified the airlines. By traveling to different countries, he made the whole world a holy place. Now, New York City is a holy place. Because Prabhupada was there. It's such a degraded place. The, the deities of Krishna are there. The chanting of Hare Krishna is there. So by their presence, the pure devotees, they institute pure devotional service. Then they encourage and guide and in some cases like this with, with Dhruva Maharaj they trick people into devotional service and in this way they spread all auspiciousness because they're fully convinced that without Krishna without surrender to Krishna everything else is completely useless so uh, Dhruva Maharaj he is the hero of this story but behind him there is Narada Muni Narad Muni's instruction. Uh, Dhruva Maharaj attained a great position. Any devotee may attain a great position. But one should know that even whatever attainment is there, it is only by the grace of one's guru who gave that guidance. Anyone who thinks, I am great, or anyone who takes any credit, for anything they've done, they should learn from the devotees how their, their motto is Jogata Bichari Kichuna Hipai Tomara Korunasha that we could not have attained this position. Dhruvan could not have attained that position without the mercy of Narada. So uh, there are many points to uh, be learned from these narrations. We should hear them again and again. As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself heard again and again the story of Dhruva Maharaj, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu found this so inspiring that he liked to hear this particular narration and that of Prahlad Maharaj. He liked to hear it again and again from the mouth of Gadadha Pandit who is his who is Radha. But Gadadha would read at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's request particularly these two narrations from Bhagavatam. So this uh, narration in Bhagavatam is unique among the narrations in Bhagavatam, uh, those that spread over various... There are several narrations which spread over various, several chapters, just like... Uh, but that uh, Dhruva Maharaj attained pure devotional service. He is... Uh, actually, yeah, that Prithu Maharaj also, that is... Really the subject is the devotee, not even Bhagavan himself. In Nrishimha Leela, of course, Nrishimha appears later. Prahlad is there and then Nrishimha jumps into the center stage. Almost literally. And, uh, but here in the Dhruva Maharaj, it's, what's being focused on here, what's being highlighted, is Dhruva Maharaj's great determination in devotional service and how he attained all success by that. So the Supreme Lord certainly appeared, that was the climax, or that was the turning point. But how Dhruva himself uh, was so determined in devotional service that he attained to that position, that is the central point of this story, which we should hear again and again and again. If we uh, simply study Bhagavatam, that in itself is enough. Or even if we study Bhagavad Gita, even if we only study Bhagavad Gita, that is, Ekam Shastram Deviki Putra Gita, even if we only study Bhagavad Gita as it is, that in itself is enough to attain all perfection. 
So Srila Prabhupada has kindly given us all these books. Gita, Bhagavatam, Bhakti, the Nectar of Devotion, Chaitanya Charitamrita. So we can study these and, and imbibe what is being instructed here. It's necessary to hear again and again and with faith. Shadhaya Bhikshnam, hear repeatedly. Shudva, Shudva, Shadhaya Abhikshnam. Hear this again and again with faith. It's, that is required. Faith doesn't mean just, yeah, I believe it happened, but with faith that this can also happen for me. We're hearing about this, not just what happened to someone else, but this can and should happen for me also. If I take to this process of devotional service, this will happen for me. I can attain, we can attain the same goal as Dhruva Maharaj. We can attain the same goal as Prahlad Maharaj if we follow in their footsteps with faith. Hare Krishna. I'll finish there. Any questions, please? Yes, a hand is up over there. So please give the mic. I saw there was some extra mic. Srinivatam Shadhaya Nityam Dhinatam Chasvacheshtitam is it material austerity or is it a spiritual austerity? Material and spiritual are distinct, but within the mind the motives may be mixed. There's such a thing as mixed devotional service. You've heard of Karma Mishra Bhakti, Jnana Mishra Bhakti, Yoga Mishra Bhakti. So one's motives may be mixed. One may desire to please the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which is a pure motive, but with the aim to get something from him material. So it's mixed. But if one performs Tivra, intense devotional service, then the very nature of Krishna being all attractive is that one gradually becomes more and more attracted to him and less and less attracted to one's materially motivated uh, ambition, whatever it may be. Actual bhakti is unmixed. Nevertheless, there are such terms as karma mishra bhakti, like that. The motive is mixed. Yes, there's... Please pass the mic over there. I appreciate um, your description of the material world is useless. But. <laughs> oh, good, thank you. Yeah, well, the, uh, the basic definition of the material world is given by Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita in two well-known words, Dukhalayama Shashvatam. It's miserable and everything here is temporary. It's miserable and even if you think it's nice, it's, whatever you think is nice is going to be wrenched away from you. So everything here is, that's the basic description. But then we again get the uh, description of but in the Bhagavad Gita itself, Sukham Atyantikam Yatad, even in this material world, one achieves great happiness as a yogi. Then we also have Prabodhananda Saraswati, who says that Vishvam Purna Sukhayate, he has a vision of Yadkarunya 
kataksham yad vaibhavapitam tam gorame vastumaha. One who has even a slight glance of the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu sees the whole world as full of bliss because he sees Krishna everywhere. So for such a person, the, 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 the misery of the material world, it doesn't exist because he only sees Krishna. But for one who is not in that consciousness, which means almost everyone in the material world, they are experiencing the miseries of this material world. So, actually, in one sense, the material world is not real at all. It's just our perception of it. But then, because our percep- we, we experience the perception, we, we, it, it's, uh, yeah, the very fact there is a perception means there's reality at some level. So, it is experienced as miserable. So, Krishna says, this material world is miserable, but... The whole aim is to come out of that consciousness to spiritual consciousness. Because the pure devotees perceive this world as, as blissful, doesn't mean that uh, it's not a place of misery for the jivas who are actually experiencing that. So, it's, uh, it's, this material world is miserable for those who forget Krishna. And it's blissful for those who remember Krishna. But even in remembering Krishna, they also feel unhappiness, as Prahlad famously said. That, what is that? Naivod Vijay What is that verse? Naivod Vijay Paradira. Tavirya Gayana Mahamrasar Magnachitam Shochi Tata Vimukha Chaitasa Indriyata. Maya Sukaya Baramudvahato Vimudhan. He said that I'm very happy because I'm always remembering you, Krishna. But I lament for those who are not remembering you and are in this way miserable in this material world. So that's the the pure devotees also feel unhappiness in seeing the unhappiness of others. Yeah, anything else? So many hands up. Yeah. So we should try to do something, as Prabhupada did. Try to do something to mitigate the suffering. Uh, while we're enjoying the happiness of Krishna consciousness or, or experiencing that, we should try to do something to help others. Yeah. Even we see that the, the pure devotees are suffering. Well, that's the wrong vision. Pure devotees don't suffer. They only... Jato deko vaishnavaya... You know this verse? Jato deko vaishnavaya bebaha duk nischoy janeho taha parananda shuk. We may see that... Pure devotees are suffering, but we should know that they're always situated on the platform of supreme bliss, even though they may appear to suffer. That's why in Vaishnava language we 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 don't say that so and so devotee was sick, but we say that Madhavendra Puri was dis, he was exhibiting the pastime of sickness. Now that may seem to be a a, a decorated euphemistic style of speaking but actually that is the fact that we should that the pure devotee he can uh, although he appears to be subject to the miseries of this mature world he acts, he superficially accepts them for the sake of serving krishna or demonstrating something some teaching to his disciples. Srila Prabhupada commented on Madhavendra Puri's sickness that the, the pure devotee may uh, exhibit sickness to give the opportunity to his disciples to serve him. Now that may seem to be some convoluted uh, way to explain it. For, for the materialists would say that, but we don't care what the materialists say. We, we understand the pure devotees are situated on the spiritual platform and they're, in t- they're completely in touch with Krishna and 
they may appear to be sick, they may appear to be distressed, but they're never uh, out of Krishna consciousness. They're not actually touched by the material world, even though they may appear to be so. That is the proper understanding. Okay, another question. Yeah, all desires. It might be difficult for a jiva to have all desires. To even imagine. I mean, all desires... You have to be pretty intelligent even to think of them all. How can it exist with bhakti? Well, the case is there with Dhruva Maharaj. That he got guidance from Narada and he had faith that by, by following Narada's instructions... I will be benefited. So he followed that. Now sarva karma, that is, there's moksha karma and sarva karma. They are listed separately. The moksha karma should also come within sarva karma, but it's listed separately. In the case of Dhruv Maharaj, he had material desires, but he had faith that. Uh, that can be fulfilled by submitting to Vishnu, as was directed by Narada. But in the case of those who want, your question might have been closer to the mark if it had said, how can you have moksha karma and have bhakti? Because that's quite uh, contradictory to bhakti, because the idea is that I will become free from everything, even I'll become free from Krishna, free from bhakti. So it's said that one cannot attain moksha unless there's a touch of bhakti, but it's most difficult for people who are on that path of moksha. It's more difficult for them than for materialists to submit to a superior power. But only if they do so can they actually attain moksha. Is there, is there any actual hope of their doing so? But that's, the, that's an important point, that if one has other overwhelming desires, of course it's going to be very difficult to take to devotional service very seriously. And we find generally people who take to devotional service very seriously do so because they're convinced of the value of, of bhakti in and of itself. If they think, I fulfill all my material desires, well, better to uh, enroll in a college and get a degree. Doing bhakti, sitting and chanting Hare Krishna, that's not going to help me. Better go to a, and get something that will actually help me. Or if I want to get liberated, better to do some yoga. That will help me. Doing bhakti, that's not going to help me. So, generally, generally only the persons who take to intense devotional service, generally only those who are convinced of the value of bhakti in and of itself. The point is that it's recommended for everyone that you should take to intense devotional service because that's the only auspicious path for everyone. But generally those who are moksha kami and sarava kami, they don't do so. Okay, one more question. Ah, uh, yeah, let someone else ask. Yeah, pass the mic. I didn't. 729, what's that? Yeshan Tandigatang Kham. Jara Marana Mokshaya. Liberation from the, the pangs, uh, the misery 
Right, yeah, I, I said that in the class, right, that the beginning of intelligence is to see this material world as miserable and to want to be free from those miseries. That's the beginning of intelligence. And full intelligence is to accept that I am controlled, there is a supreme controller, I should submit myself to him. Yeah, that's a very good point you made. The, the, the problem comes when we think, I want to get free from these miseries, and we accept the impersonal conclusion in attempting to do so. But the beginning of intelligence is to see this, this world is miserable, I don't belong here, what's the solution? And if, if we are fortunate enough to get Vaishnav guidance and uh, pure-hearted enough to accept it, then that misery becomes our springboard for going back home, back to Godhead. But then... But yeah, it's good to see that. That Srila Prabhupada says that... The, to be disgusted with material life is the beginning of spiritual life. If, if we're still trying to be happy in this material world, then our real spiritual life can't begin. Or even if we've taken up spiritual life, the tendency of, is to revert back to thinking that material life is very nice. Therefore, we should hear again and again, actually this material world is miserable. We find throughout the Bhagavatam, again and again, it's described how this material world is miserable because the tendency even if we're hearing about Krishna and are engaging in devotional service the, the tendency due to bad habits since time immemorial is to again desire that so it's, it's important to again and again hear that this material world is miserable Well, I said I'd take one question, and I took it, because we're supposed to finish at nine o'clock. Or is there leeway? We're allowed to go on? All right, okay, I, don't, I can sit for longer. I guess anyone who wants, they can leave. Anyone who, of course they can leave, they don't have to come in the first place if they don't want to. So, yes. By the way, there's some prasadam at the end. How do we what with the Guru? How do we get unflinching faith in the Guru? By hearing and observing. We hear from Shastra about the symptoms of bona fide Guru and if we observe that in a particular person then we may develop faith that they are competent to guide us. Hearing and seeing. Appear in our heart? Well, he appears in front of you. No. That's Chaitya Guru is within the heart. That's Vishnu. And the external manifestation is the uh, person who appears in front of you and speaks the same thing that the Guru in the heart, who was the Guru of Arjuna, speaks in Bhagavad Gita. So if the Guru speaks what's in Bhagavad Gita and acts like that, then you can have faith that he's following in the footsteps of Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. It's not such a difficult thing to understand. Krishna speaks Bhagavad Gita and Guru speaks the same thing. It's not so extremely difficult to understand. Yeah, then... Well, there are levels. There are levels of faith also. Unflinching faith. How do you get unflinching faith? I don't know if there's any material formula, seven steps to get unflinching faith, but it's the same. It's the same process. You hear. You have a strong desire to surrender to Krishna. 
And when you see that the uh, the person who is teaching you is fully absorbed in that, and it's, then you have faith that he's fully competent to guide you. It's not something that you can, like I say, it's, it's not something that you can do this, do that, do this, do that, and you'll get it. But by going on, hearing, observing, when you put the Guru's orders into action in your own life and see how it helps you, then your faith develops. Associate with others who have unflinching faith. Unflinching faith, that should be Shastra-based faith, not blind faith. Should be based on descriptions in Shastra. Yeah, alright, anything else? Yes, still the hands are going up. Well, there are descriptions in Shastra that, w- that one should follow certain... You can't see with your eyes, then uh, there are descriptions in Shastra that a devotee should follow such and such rules and regulations. And Isn't it? Otherwise you can't see, then you, you know, there might be the, some... What's that called? Chain murderer? What's that, what's that called? Serial murderer, yeah, and you think he might, Charles Manson, a famous murderer of the 1960s, apparently he was chanting Hare Krishna when he was brought to court. So, he killed so many people, but when he came to court he chanted Hare Krishna. So, maybe he was a great devotee. What do you think? <coughs> then, then that, if you say that, then that means the Shastras left us with just our... We can't see. Then how are you going to go to Guru at all? The symptoms are given in Shastra that Shabde Parecha Nishnatam Brahmanyu Pashamashrayam. These are the general symptoms. One who is died, one who is immersed in the message of Shastra and has completely taken shelter of the absolute truth. So Guru, he has to teach according to Shastra, so he should know what is in Shastra. That's a, that's a verifiable symptom, isn't it? Is it not? You, should not, you shouldn't speak from the, from the daily newspaper. You should speak from the Shastra. That's a verifiable symptom. And one who is absor- absorbed in spiritual consciousness, this is described in Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna asked, what are the symptoms of one who is uh, sthita pragya? And Krishna's answer was that he's free from sense gratification. So these are verifiable symptoms. Whether or not in his heart there are waves of pain constantly flowing, you may not see. But you can see the, there are some symptoms. Anyway, I'm not going to get into a whole big thing about Guru. Ta- you have to find the actual pure devotee who's weeping at the sound at the always chanting the name of Radha and weeping in ecstasy. I didn't see this with Prabhupada. He's very practical. He told us to chant Hare Krishna and he chanted Hare Krishna. He told us to take prasad and he took prasad. So, I can recommend you can follow Prabhupada and those who are following Prabhupada. And that's it. Easy. Whether or not he's weeping in ecstasy, that's... In fact, if he is weeping in ecstasy, I'd be more careful. (laughs) Srila Prabhupada always taught us Bhagavad Gita, you're not the body. He taught us what we needed to hear. So, he very kindly lifted us out of our illusion of thinking that we are the body. At least he did his very best to do so. So, if you're in, if you're 
a child, five years old, don't ask for Einstein as your teacher. What he has to teach, you can't understand anyway. The primary school teacher may be a better, even he's not on the level of Einstein, he might be a better teacher for you than Einstein. You don't need Einstein. Well, speaking on Gita is not in and of itself cheating. Anyway, this is getting outside the subject of this. I mean, it's a huge topic. You find someone who's following. I can recommend if you are, if you want to hear what I have to say. List, you've heard so many other people. You've asked me, so I'll give the reply. That. Srila Prabhupada, you may or may not agree with this, it's up to you. You have infinitesimal independence. Srila Prabhupada was a great pure devotee of Krishna, who was empowered by Krishna to spread Krishna consciousness to many, many jivas who had otherwise have no idea of Krishna consciousness. So, you follow those who are following Prabhupada, that's all. Don't make it complex. That's all. Prabhupada said, you rise early, go to Mangalati, you do that. You find someone who is teaching you to do that and does that. Prabhupada said to chant minimum 16 rounds a day, follow four regular principles, do that. Prabhupada said to become free from sense gratification, give up material desires. You find someone who is teaching that and attempting to do that and following the principles you'll be safe don't worry there is Krishna he'll look after you if you're sincere Krishna will look after you if you're not then Maya will look after you in the name of Krishna quite possibly okay Madhurena Samapayat. That's a quote which means we should finish with a sweet. So, I was given some prasad.